0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Bounty episode of the Your podcast. I'm Spectre, with me as Z. Today, we have some Bash, Privileged Mode bones and Parallel Desktop, a Git arbitrary config injection, a pre auth RCE and, C- and Sophos web app- appliance, and more. Uh, as per usual, we'll cover the Spot the vuln solution at the top of tomorrow's episode. And yeah, so our first topic is a post from VolnCheck on a pre auth RCE and Sophos web appliance. Z, I'll let you take this one away.
1: Yeah, and this one is... Um... Relatively straightforward, although I don't feel like the actual post explains it super well. Um, so the post starts off already knowing about the CV, and they just look at the patch and see that in this patch, all they do is they patch, or so they know it's like an RC. They know they're able to get code execution, and they see the patch, which just changes this pearl call or this uh, in pearl pearl script, uh, changes the system call to actually use the binary as the or binary's path or target path as the first argument rather than passing in a big long string kind of hinting at what the issue is going to be some form of escape so when you pass in just like a big long uh, string it's going to execute like bash or whatever the default shell is it'll execute the shell give it the command line that you've provided and you know if you can break out of that you can get your arbitrary code and or execute arbitrary commands by giving it this target binary to run, you could really only get argument injection at best out of it. Uh, so you kind of hints at where it's going. The path to get there is a little bit interesting, and it really ends up being nesting and trying to be a little bit too dynamic. That ruins things for them. It starts off with a PHP file, this uh, controller slash userblock.php, this file, takes in like a base64 encoded string and all that, decodes it, and what it's doing, it creates a couple values that's going to pass into shell exec, so despite the earlier patch actually um, uh, using, or at least trying to fix that system call in this case in PHP, they're still going with shell exec, so uh, maybe not, like, I don't know how you'd actually escape this one because they are using fixed values, but that's just sketchy to see. Uh, but they do use the the escape shell args on the user-controlled value, so that's good. If there are any um, single quotes in there, so escape shell args will... Uh, actually, I forget if it will wrap it. In, I feel like it will wrap it in single quotes and escape any embedded single quotes. I'm pretty sure about that, like 85% sure.
0: Yeah, I just looked up the documentation. The It adds single quotes around a string and quotes and escapes any
1: existing single quotes, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't remember for sure that added. If it didn't add, then kind of had a bit more obvious of an issue here. But, um, yeah, so it, it adds the single quotes around the key and value. Those are the user-controlled values, so fine. Uh, the thing is, it kind of nests. So it starts off with the PHP, PHP shell exec to whatever this packer is. That first packer variable... Um, ends up being this SB list pack. Uh and it's a Perl script. So it's executing a new Perl script from there. And then that Perl script itself um will execute another Perl script. Um which is where they ended up patching this issue. Uh the the system called there. It's now inside of this uh, uh inside of the first Perl binary and it's going and Crafts the system called call yet another Perl script. Um, and so the issue ends up being that, yes, they escape the values up here in the PHP. They add like the backslash before any single quotes. But when that first Perl script gets that, that's not going to see it as escaped. That's because it's kind of gone through that one layer of translation. It's been passed in and used. It's used that escape up. It's now going to receive the string that just has that raw single quote. So now when it calls system with that string, um and it's quoting all of the arguments here in single quote. Or originally was. Um it's going to have that raw single quote without the escape when it reads it in, and it's going to pass it on and break out of uh the string in here. So pretty classic issue of like, you know, single quote to escape, but I thought it was interesting just the nesting that was involved to get it to get through the escape shell args and eventually still land with kind of a vulnerable situation. Um, In theory, like, testing for this, if you're trying to find it, you're going to be testing for kind of the normal way because it just goes through this flow and, you know, you should be able to pick it out. But glancing at it, you wouldn't necessarily notice the issue here because they are using escape shell args. Like, at a glance, if you're just auditing this code, oh, good, they're doing that. It's all fine. But because it goes through that double call, it needs to be escaped twice. So it... So or, or the uh uh Pearl needs to escape it before using it also. Um either way, you need that either second escape or as they fix it here, just basically giving you the case for argument injection. Uh fixing it as like this value goes to this argument and not letting it uh be executed as a whole shell script, which in general, best practice, just don't execute the shell if you don't have to. Like I kind of called down PHP here. It might not be vulnerable in this case. Uh, there may not be an escape for like the key and value. But using shell exec is still a little bit sketchy to me. It would be better to do that a little bit manually, give it the specific binary to run, and all the arguments, it just removes the possibility of escaping, whereas you know, there's still something here, although they are at least apparently doing it correctly. Yeah, it seems to be somewhat more common with PHP.
0: Uh, using, like, calling out to the shell uh, to do this stuff. Um, I guess just due to, you know, how the language is designed and whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of neat because you don't really see, like, uh, PHP calling into, like, Perl in this way super often, or at least I haven't. Um, but yeah, whenever you do, it's it's got to be something you look at pretty carefully because it's pretty easy to mess it up, so.
1: Yeah, like, this issue could happen if they were calling into anything because at its yeah. root, the issue is just, well, I mean, part of it's just the pearl doesn't escape the argument, um, but also the first argument coming in there is like the double escaping aspect. So, um, I mean, if you were auditing the Perl, you should be able to notice this one, but yeah. All right. So up next from
0: uh, Ethiac, uh, we have a pretty weird issue in Git that allows for arbitrary config injection from a logic issue and parsing of the Git config. Um, And it all started when they were looking at Git submodules, which for those who aren't aware of what those are, uh, they basically allow you to have like recursive Git repositories. Um, So if your repo shares some common code that you want to have, like you don't want to embed all that code in the repo and you want to have it tied to like a specific branch or version of that or whatever, um, you can have a version of that Git repo be inside of yours via a Git submodule. And the way that works is the submodule is tracked in the Git config. And then whenever you do like a recursive clone, Uh, It'll do the lookup and clone the child repositories, and on the file system, it just looks like a regular folder. Um, They're kind of neat. They can also be quite annoying to deal with at times. Um, But anyway, in this case, uh, they noticed some funny behavior if you had a git submodule URL that was longer than 1,024 bytes. um, Because it would actually create new sections inside of the git config. Um, So they thought this was pretty weird. They, you know dug into it, did some root-causing. Um, and what was happening there was, uh, there's this one particular function, which unfortunately it's not very easy to see if you're watching the stream, because um, it's just kind of in the smaller image. Um, but there's this git config copy or rename section and file function, um, which would take config file lines via fgets into a one kilobyte buffer. Uh, the problem is though, if your input exceeds a kilobyte, um, It'll remain in that input buffer, and so when it goes to read the next line, it'll end up reading any data left over from you know the first line, um, and it'll read it as part of the next one. So by simply getting a section variable passed that's larger than a thousand twenty four bytes, um, you can inject an arbitrary section. For their poc, they demonstrate an SSH command to get code execution, but there's you know any number of routes you can go with that. Um, and yeah, you can do this via the submodule URL. So it's kind of a funny bug. It would be kind of tricky to actually trigger this as an attacker, though, um, as is usual, with these kinds of Git bugs, because it would require user interaction on the victim to like de-initialize or rename or remove a submodule that had a long URL to do this, um, which honestly, like once you add a submodule, it's pretty rare that you're going to be like removing it or renaming it. So already like that scenario is somewhat far-fetched so impact is somewhat mitigated there that said it's still a pretty interesting issue just in how it works um with like uh you know losing sync with the input buffer basically
1: yeah i i agree with you there i thought um uh that the f gets loop is relatively common because it is used for line parsing because f gets does traditionally stop on a new line so it's a same belief that a developer might have that I call fgets, I get a line. Um, Nothing about that edge case of what happens when um, the line itself is too big to fit in the buffer, and kind of handling that case because effectively, what's going on here is they're just not looking for um, that edge case where the whole line hasn't been processed, and f gets doesn't know what you're doing. It just knows, give me you know this many bytes or a line. Um, so it is the sort of bug that can appear elsewhere, which is why you know I added it for the show to kind of highlight even if you're not necessarily looking at a lot of uh, like reading the C, just providing long lines as the input, you never know where this can just kind of show up. Yeah, for a lot of our bug bounty hunters, you're maybe not gonna be running into F Gets that often. Um, at least not directly, but it does get used under the hood a fair bit. You know, various libraries will drop into C, so it is the sort of bug that can appear a little bit unexpectedly. Uh, so, yeah, in this case, this particular get instance probably not going to see too many in the wild exploits of it. Probably not going to be that uh, reproducible in terms of like just hunting for that issue and finding a way to exploit it on a, a bug bounty program. But if you were to kind of look for this generic issue, just this F gets loop, that's something I could see showing up elsewhere.
0: For sure. All right, so up next, we have a Redash SAML authentication bypass, which uh, Redash is like a data analysis and visualization tool. And uh, I'll let you get into this one.
1: Yeah, and uh, actually kind of similar to the last one, what I thought was interesting here was more that this bug could definitely appear elsewhere and not so much like this really specific case. Because the core bug here is really the uh, xmlsec1 binary. Its interface is is a little bit surprising in terms of how it operates. And so this has been called out already with a PySAML 2, uh, 6.1.0, which is the version that Redash is using. It's known trying to be or I guess all of the PySammel 2s before 6.5.0 um, are vulnerable to CV 2021 21239. Uh, which is basically this XML sec issue. And the XML sec issue has been noted going all the way back uh to 2013. There was a mailing list. Uh there's an email that kind of shows this issue. Um, and that's what I want to focus on rather than on the Redash aspect. Um, it's just in trying to validate SAML. So if you're on, un- if you're unfamiliar with SAML, we've talked about it a handful of times on the podcast. It's kind of an older, or I don't actually know which is older OAuth, SAML. I assume SAML is because I remember dealing with SAML well before I dealt with OAuth. But it's kind of dealing with that uh, single sign-on trying to do that. So you'll have security assertions, which get passed around. And so you want to validate that it is properly signed. Um, and so you would use something like the XML tool to pass in, I have an example here, XML sec, uh, dash dash verify, providing it the public key, and then giving it you know the XML that's to be verified, to check, is this okay, is this verified? Makes sense, and you would expect this uh, command line here with verify, you're giving it the command, you're giving it a public key to verify with, and signed. And there's um, another one here where they provide the uh, trusted, yeah, trusted PEM, so you can provide, you know, the other cert, the root cert. Um, so you would expect that it would perform that verification with like the cert that you're providing the argument. The problem is, it's not, um, or at least by default, you can override that. Uh, by the contents of the actual file. So even though you're providing this public key and saying, hey, verify this, and here's the cert to verify it with, make sure it's signed by this, it'll look at that sign.xml, which is attacker control. The attacker provides the assertion from uh, the identity provider. In theory, you know, the the normal user would just get this assertion, pass it over, and uh, it'd be good to go. But it is attacker-controlled. They can put whatever they want in there, and let try and forge it. So what happens is, if the attacker puts in their own key value into, or, like, embeds it into their XML, uh, the XML sec binary will just be like, hey, it's got a key here. Yep, that key was definitely used to sign this cert, so it's a valid cert. Not even considering the fact that the person asking for the, uh, asking for it to be verified, or the program provided a cert. Like, they just don't care. It's the key pr- or the uh, XML provided one itself, so it just checks with that and chooses to prioritize the embedded one instead of the provided one, which I feel like violates Sloth Non surprise, it is kind of a surprising take to choose to trust the embedded one. But I can't see an argument on like, well, the embedded is more explicit and therefore should take priority. But
0: it's a very weird case. I agree. Yeah, um, like. It's you can kind of argue on both sides, yeah.
1: I think you can argue on both sides, but at the same time, because usually when you're verifying something, like it should be assumed that that's something you don't entirely trust. You're trying you don't to trust, verify yeah. it. Yeah, for sure. So that's where I really think they should, and have the default be. Uh, what's specified in the command line um, instead, and the reply to this was just like, "Yeah, you should verify that not only that it's valid, but that validate using the right key." Like just pushing it off to the developer to do extra work to use the binary, um, and if, and that is kind of what the patch on uh, PySample two did was. I'll just pull it up here quickly, but effectively they just added in schemas for all of these different XML trees that they could receive and they validate that they received the right XML and so it doesn't have, like, this extra key data inside of it. But at its core, like, the XML, um, sorry, XMLSec binary and its interface, I think is the core problem here. And so, again, this is another one of those issues that, you know, I could see showing up elsewhere when people just use the sec binary, not really thinking about... Uh, how, how it's going to take prior or what it's going to prioritize and making those assumptions. Easy assumption to make. I think very fair on the developer to think that it will use the cert provided if provided one explicitly. So, I mean, it's yeah, it's one of those bugs that it is a little bit old. I mean, obviously, this is reported back in 2013, the CVs from 2021, but I don't think we've talked about it at all. So, I thought it was worth uh, shouting out here. Yeah, I don't think
0: we have either, and uh, the issue seems like it basically makes what's already kind of difficult even more difficult, um, perhaps unnecessarily. I don't know. I think it's just the, because of how limited the interface is that it's a difficult case to handle, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's something to be aware of for sure. It's, it's like you said, it kind of violates the law of non-surprise. If you don't already know of it, it could very easily bite you, so um, it, it, I could totally see this you know happening in other applications too um so yeah typically we don't cover like uh end days uh being leveraged in like against a random target or whatever um but in this case it's it's a little bit more notable i guess
1: yeah i thought it was at least interesting um and i will say i mean saml is hard to get right saml is a very um it's a complex flow Yeah. yeah well it's flexibility creates a lot of complexity in terms of what can be done and what can happen and stuff it's just hard to get right this is just another place that it can go wrong yeah all right. So out of
0: ZDI this week, we have a bash privileged mode, uh, actually multiple technically in Parallels desktop for Mac OS. Um, it's kind of fun because we generally don't talk about virtualization too much on the bounty episode. It's usually more reserved for the, the binary focused episodes. Um, cause it's typically like mem corruption and stuff like that, but yeah, not in this case, um, here, uh, the root cause comes down to, um, you know, the bash privileged mode, which I will say I have, I haven't really, you know, had to look at too much. Um, But I think Z has a little bit more
1: familiarity with it, right? Uh, I haven't actually looked at it too much myself either, but at least in terms of, like, this exploit flow, I think I've got a decent handle here. Um, And I I thought it was kind of cool how it's actually the privileged mode and its security that ends up allowing for this exploit. Um, And it is kind of another case, kind of like the first one, where nesting is creating the issue. Um, In this case, I'm really just going to talk about the uh, first CV here, although they do have the couple uh, in it. The first one, I thought, was kind of the main thing. So first of all, just about privileged mode itself, the idea is, like, um, if you have a seguit or seggid binary, which binary, when you run it, it looks at the owner and runs with the... Um, effective user or group id of the owner of the file rather than whoever is actually running it so it can run with like higher privileges um if bash notices that it was run by such a binary um it will drop its privileges uh well by default it'll drop its privileges to the real user um and it will uh, try and lock down its user input so it's not reading things. Like, it's not looking for the environment file or bash ENV. Uh, it's not reading most things from the environment. So it's not, like, uh, inheriting shell functions out of the environment, which is kind of the lower-privileged user controls act. So it's basically just locks itself down a bit so the lower-privileged user can't influence its execution, or at least that's the idea. Uh so that can be tripped either by actually providing like the privilege flag or dash p. It can also happen if, like I mentioned earlier, if Bash recognizes that's running under this situation, and the way it does that is pretty simple. It just looks: is the uh, current real user ID equal to the effective user ID, or is the current group not equal? Sorry, both of these are not equal checks. Um, or is the current group real group ID not equal to the effective? Uh, group ID, if either of those happen, um, it just, sets the, uh, val- the effect of user ID to the real user ID, um, and same thing with the group. So, effectively, if they don't match, make them match. Um, and step down its privileges to the real user rather than the effect of user. Uh, so that's kind of what privilege mode does. Um, and so where the vulnerability comes in here is that you have the parallel service parallel service um is both the set hewitt and set uh group id binary it starts up it will uh fork a new process to start or it'll start like a nested non-interactive bash shell for that shell, it'll call Seguid equal to the or Seguid um with the current user ID. So since it's a Seguid binary, it's basically saying set my real user ID to root also. Um and the issue or not so much an issue there. Or sorry, I should also mention when starting a bash, it is starting it and it's passing in the original user environment. It's using exec V, not VE. So um It'll just inherit the existing environment also. Um, and yeah, so it sets the user ID to root or owner. So in theory, that's going to be root. Stepping up its privileges in a sense, executes bash and you end up in this bash shell, which sees that the user, real user ID is equal to the effective user ID. So it's not going to drop privileges because of that, but because the group ID is not equal to the effect of group ID, it will, you know, trip basically this check and be like, okay, we need to run in privilege mode, we need to lock it down. Um, And so at that point, it goes and it's, uh, you know, UID is already zero, but sets the group ID to whatever the real group ID is, uh, making them equal. Uh, So in that case, like the privilege mode... um, in theory has stepped down its privileges, but because before bash was run, the real user ID was set to zero. It's kind of stepping them up in a sense, because what happens next is where you have the issue is this embedded script runs another embedded script. Now it's nesting, and that embedded script, again, just executing bash, except this time when it starts bash, bash is going to look, is the real user equal to the effective user? Is the real group equal to the effective group? And in this case, because of uh, the privilege mode kind of stepping down the privileges in the higher level, uh, this time when it gets into this uh, second nested watchdog, it's uh, the name of the file's watchdog, um, when it gets into that watchdog script, it's going to see, oh, these are equal, so it doesn't have to do anything. It is completely secure, and this is just the actual user. It's actually root running this. And so it will start trusting the environment variables, again, that have been passed uh, through all these chains. Um, and now that I trust them, now you can just target, uh, like, change, um, I think they changed or inherited the rm command. I forget which command they actually went for, but you can go a number of ways depending on what your binary is doing to overwrite any of the shell commands. Um uh, but I thought it was a really cool vulnerability just because of that nesting. Um, and ultimately, Bash stepping down its privileges is what allowed that nested one to actually run with all of the untrusted environment.
0: It's a complicated issue. And it's one of those issues where um, I don't think you could easily catch it just doing a quick code review. Like, you have to really think about um, how these scripts are running and the context of which they're running in um like which privilege level are you currently set at and stuff like that like yeah it's a pretty interesting logic logical issue and uh yeah it would be hard to catch i feel like
1: yeah i'm not sure i mean now that i'm kind of aware of that nuance i feel like i could maybe look for that nested bash being run uh because it's basically that second bash case that is going to have well As long as you're running with the real UID of zero, which is kind of a special thing that this one does that maybe not all programs would do. But assuming you've got that, like it's that nested case that makes it vulnerable because of the step down privileges. So that is something you could at least be aware of and look for. Dynamic testing would probably be a little bit easier to detect this one with. uh, Setting a bunch of functions to some sort of like print some sort of canary value. Um, And you'd probably be able to detect it that way rather than through code review. Um, And for what it's worth, the other vulnerabilities that were um, a bit less interesting were just a bit more direct. Basically, they would run... um, uh, And they weren't uh, set to group ID binaries. So when the... um, When the service would go ahead, and it's a different service, PRL update helper... Uh, When that would run uh, its nested script, it would do the same, like, set user ID to the effect of user ID, so setting the real ID to root. Um, And so Bast would just see him as equal at that point, and he didn't have to go through this nesting thing to get around it. It was just a bit more of a standard privilege escalation issue. Um, Yeah, I thought the first one was more interesting than those two, but... Yeah, I, like, on a whole, I feel like it's a really interesting chain that does kind of require understanding a bit about how Bash is working, but it's definitely you know, something to keep an eye out for.
0: Yeah, and uh, like I said, you know, when when you're talking about, like, virtualization, it's easy to hammer in on, like, oh, I'm going to go for, you know, mem corruption type thing. Um, but, you know, set UID binaries are a very much valid target here and in this case they were a little bit more like higher level than some of the other set you would binary issues we see um but yeah like it's it's a fair place to look and yeah i'd be interested to see if there's some more like this and uh, perhaps like other virtualization software outside of parallels
1: i mean parallels so. does, does kind of have a track record of these sorts of um kind <laughs> of stupid issues
0: yeah that's that's fair
1: But yeah, I mean, Um, it's an issue that you know if you're aware of it, you can keep an eye out for it. Yeah, yeah,
0: the one of those hindsight things where it's like, uh, you know, now that you know about it, you can do some variant analysis, try to look for it in other places. But before that, yeah, this this is, um, I mean, I don't know if it's a new sort of attack. But at least I don't remember having seen it before covering it on the podcast. So uh, it's new to me, at least.
1: Yeah, I I don't think it's like some novel way of attacking Bash or something, because it is kind of dependent on the scenario having like the step up of the real user ID. And it is a little bit specific. But um, yeah, I don't think it's novel. I don't know for sure. Like it was a newer thing to me. In terms of testing for it, though, like I guess as I mentioned earlier, like you could do Canary Values to kind of test this dynamically and you wouldn't even need to be aware of the whole privilege mode and why it works, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Why it works is pretty interesting.
0: Alright, so our last post here is out of Portswigger and details a CSP bypass that was find, found in uh, Pitwick Pro, um, which is like an analytics software suite that Portswigger was thinking of running themselves, and so they did an audit on it. Um, so yeah, this is another one of those posts where it's not exactly a novel issue. Um, It's they kind of took a CSP bypass in their cheat sheet and ended up using it. That said um, there is some cool, um, you know, things to keep you aware of. And I guess a good reminder. So yeah, Z, I'll let you get into this one and then we'll probably wrap the show after that.
1: Yeah, actually I kind of consider this one to be a bit more of just a shout out towards this rather than a full talk that I want to dive into. So I mean, if, It's The case is that they're using script gadgets, which which is something we talked about quite a while back with the research paper. I want to say, like, maybe it was during your very first season, like 2019. Um, It was quite a while back when we talked about this idea of having script gadgets, which is um, kind of tying in even with the idea of code reuse attacks uh, in binary work. So, if you're unfamiliar uh, in the binary world, we have um, uh, like non executable stacks. So you can't just inject. It used to be the case where you would just kind of write machine code into memory and jump to it, and it would just execute uh, kind of like a machine code injection. Can't really do that anymore. Instead, modern attacks will use code reuse. You'll find these little gadgets of existing binary that maybe don't do everything you want but they'll do like some small little piece and you'll chain them together to create like a larger program um, and so the idea of script gadgets I think is kind of cool in that if you run to that scenario where you have a csp that you can't uh, just inject your own code you might be able to find script gadgets that you can use which in this case are going to be things that um so the way I've usually seen the way it's done here is you've got like some HTML you can inject that will trigger other JavaScript to run that then does something useful. So you're reusing the existing JavaScript. Um, In this case, they just target in an Angular app, the ng-focus and the expression there, they're able to uh, basically craft that in such a way. There's a little bit of trickery here that you can read about like for creating the arrays. They get this alert in there. It is a little bit weird to create this alert, but um yeah, you, you can read into that. But the fundamental idea of using these script gadgets, I think it's cool. It's cool to see it actually being used. They actually link off to I guess a black hat talk where they're also using it um where it's been used. But I don't see that attack technique necessary too often, but it is cool to see. So I wanted to shout out this post but yeah some of the details I'll leave for you to go ahead and just read.
0: Yeah, it's a good opportunity to shout out script gadgets. Um, It's also a good reminder of, you know, the um, ports for your cheat sheet as well. Um, That's a pretty useful resource. I think we did uh, give it a shout out on the podcast back when they first put it out or maybe when they made an update to it. I forget exactly. Um, But it's been a long while since we've, you know, given a shout out to it. So
1: definitely check it out if you're not familiar with it. Not sure if we did give a shout out to that one or not. We've talked about some of their cheat sheets, but I mean, they put out quite a bit. Yeah, i also a lot say actual
0: research coming into Portswigger uh, in general.
1: Yeah, I'll also mention that um he talks a little bit about his process in looking for uh, DOM access issues, and one thing that he does is, or one thing I thought was interesting that he does is he will change the uh, DOM Invader, um which is kind of tool from Portswigger for, I don't know, like DOM things, so he'll use a canary, right? But he changes the canary to be an empty string. Um, in which case, it's just letting them to see all of the syncs that, you know, anything goes into, basically, and see how they're getting used. Uh, which I thought was a nice little trick to keep in mind if you are testing for DOMX test. Um, he talks about that in, like, the second paragraph here, so you can get into it pretty quickly. But effectively, just making the canary blank, therefore, every string that gets used appears to have, and you kind of get the whole list of all of the sinks, which is useful to be going and auditing yourself. Yeah.
0: Um, so with that said, I believe we have two more shoutouts and then we'll wrap up the show. Uh, I think these are both Z, so I'll let you cover yeah. them and then, yeah.
1: Yeah, two shoutouts, two XSS. that The vulnerabilities in both of these cases are just straightforward. User input gets reflected from you know somewhere. Uh, what I thought was interesting was the impact on these. The first one here is finding XSS in a million websites because cPanel is hosted, and you know, there are a lot of instances of cPanel, and you can access, I guess, some of the cPanel endpoints just on whatever domain. It'll kind of hijack a few paths to go to the cPanel path, which means you can have an XSS in cPanel that impacts the uh, hosting website or like the source website that has, has it on um and so yeah they just found a pretty straightforward thing digging in through here a little bit um gained straightforward access but i did think that impact was interesting because cpanel is an interesting area to target it's something
0: that i'm sure like almost everyone who's you know been listening to the streams and stuff has probably seen at least once um because it's like the most popular you know control panel software for like web hosting and stuff so uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to see it here.
1: Yeah, and the uh, second one, um, this one was a stored excess on sync, and this one I thought was a little bit interesting uh, just because of how they decided to at least show an impact for it. Um, rather than going for an excess and trying to do things as the user, which maybe will be useful, maybe not, maybe they'll be logged in or something, but uh, what they did was... Um, Uh, so the vulnerability was it just you'd have your package uploaded the readme file would be parsed and markdown would be parsed out of that including any html in that markdown would just be used so again a straightforward xss Uh, but the way they decided to abuse that was on sync you'd see the package and you would see this package health which tells you know some information about security its popularity maintenance community gives you some information about the library that, like, at a glance looks okay. And they use their XSS, instead of targeting and gain any sort of action in sync. Um, I'm saying this is sync, I might be saying that incorrectly. Uh, but S-N-Y-K. Um, they basically use that to change their package health to make it look like it's a legitimate, very healthy package and widely used. Uh, despite the fact that it's not. So that somebody may go and install a malicious package thinking that it is actively maintained and a very healthy well-used package which i thought was an interesting way to go about and to show kind of the damage without actually needing to just hijack an account or something
0: oh it's sort of similar to that nintendo issue we covered not too long ago um where they were able to get their uh their map or whatever in mario maker promoted to the front page <clears throat> sort of similar on like how the attack works but obviously you know a bit higher impact here
1: uh yeah that was uh, mario kart actually they were able to get their race listed as like with the official races or whatever so they'd be the tournament to yeah. everybody yeah tournament um yeah it's, it's just another way of abusing it using like what the application is for and using that against it or using that to escalate so game, one of those things to keep in mind if you're looking for ways to escalate an issue Sometimes you just need to look at a bit more of the logical aspect and how the applications use rather than just, you know, some generic, how do you escalate this issue to something? Um, especially in this case where a fair number of people are going to be using the application without being logged in, you do kind of need that, some other sort of attack vector. So, I like, if somebody had this issue and were to exploit it, yeah, you know, I could totally see myself falling for it. Locating, seeing, oh, it's a healthy package, and not really recognizing that it's an XSS. Um, yeah, you know, it might come up elsewhere when you realize that, oh, this isn't actually like that white leaves or something, but um It's subtler
0: than some other attack techniques. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I
1: could definitely see myself falling for it. All right.
0: So that's all the topics that we have for today. So as always, thank you everyone who tuned in. Um, Recent episodes can be found on Twitch and all of them are up on YouTube, Spotify, Apple podcasts, and more links off anchor discord and Twitter links are down below or in the chat. And with that said, we'll be back tomorrow at 7pm Eastern, 4pm Pacific for binary topics. uh, And we'll see you then.